We welcome those who are participating online. It's great to have you with us as always. We're in a series, and this is part seven. Each part stands out on its own. In the book of 2 Timothy. Are you enjoying this? I hope you're enjoying the book of 2 Timothy. I'm certainly learning a lot as I unfold this and read this and spend some good time in the Word. Part 7. Part 7. Um, that Paul is writing to Timothy, this younger leader, and Paul's coming to the end of his ministry time. And Paul finds himself 800 miles away from uh, Timothy. Timothy is in Ephesus, a young leader of the church in Ephesus. And uh, it's, it's a great connection, a great relationship from a mentor to a young leader of the church. And what I love about this book, and especially these next few verses we're going to unfold today, there's only a few, by the way, that the words... And the phrases and the ideas that were written over 2,000 years ago are still relevant for us today. Now, if you weren't here last week, firstly, can I encourage you to get online? You can watch our service on demand, or you can download one of our podcasts and keep up to speed. But just a quick reflector, a quick reminder of last week that we talked about a battlefield. Remember the three characters? The battlefield with the soldier, very good. The athletic field with the athlete and the agricultural field with the farmer. We had three characters, there they are, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. We talked about this last week, and each one of these fields forced us to wrestle with a few ideas. The big question we kind of asked at the end of last week was, who, that Paul asked Timothy, who is your commanding officer? Who is your commanding officer? And we talked about, maybe for some of us, um, its image, Maybe for some of us, it's in fact shame. Maybe it's our workplace. Maybe it's money. Maybe, as Tim, Paul was saying to Timothy, that Jesus to be your commanding officer. Now, depending on your commanding officer, depending on what your commanding officer is, affects your harvest. What you harvest throughout your life and what you look back on Throughout your life, when you get to the end of your life, what you have harvested. And so Paul is teaching Timothy to to make sure, Timothy, that Jesus is your commanding officer. Why? Because if Jesus is your commanding officer, you will harvest, not greed, not image, not narcissism or ego and things like that, but you will harvest what matters to God most, and that is People. You remember that? That is people. So that's where we landed on last week. And so Paul, here he goes, he continues this conversation. We continue this conversation. He continues by saying that as soldiers, as soldiers, you in fact speak on behalf of your commanding officer. He says that every time you open your mouth and you talk, you speak on behalf of your commanding officer, and that is Jesus. And he's actually going to say that words as we've just reflected on, words, what we speak and how we engage with others really, really matters. So how do we go about this? Well, let's open it up. Let's continue the journey from last week in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14, where he says this, keep reminding God's people of these things, Paul says. What things? Uh, who your commanding officer is, uh, what your harvest will be. Okay, so keep reminding Timothy, God's people, of these things. He says, warn them before God against quarreling about words. For it is of what? No value. And what? Only ruins those who listen. 
What's happening here is that Paul is warning Timothy that quarreling over words adds nothing of eternal value. Paul would add a word like the word ruin, and in fact, ruins people's lives, he says. In fact, uh, the word quarreling, first of all, means arguing, disagreeing, wrestling with the person to make sure I'm right. You know, this word ruin in Greek actually means catastrophe. Ruining people's lives is a spiritual catastrophe. There's a block that gets put into people's lives when we go about quarreling about words. What Paul is saying that it impedes on people's progress and formation where they don't get to experience God's goodness, God's love, God's grace, God's presence, God's fatherhood over us. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Now, if I asked, if I asked here this morning, if you could name a moment in your life where you experienced some harmful and hurtful words, I think many of you would place uh, a time and maybe even a particular place where somebody spoke those negative words over your life. Maybe emotional abuse was spoken over you. Maybe a lie was said about you. Maybe gossip or slander, slandering of your name. Because those words, what Paul is saying here, those words have the power to actually ruin our lives. You know that little saying back in primary school where we were told and we continue to say that sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will give me permanent psychological damage. What an absolute lie that is. Names will give you and I sometimes permanent psychological damage. And so, uh, you know, we're trying to introduce this idea of words to us here this morning, the importance of words. If we go back in history to the Hebrew people, to the Hebrew people, in fact, words were extremely significant. These were a big idea. Um, Let's go back, first of all, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. What does it say? Genesis 1, verse 1. It's up on the screen there. It says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I've always loved that image. So here we have the Creator, God, who looks down into this nothingness and He speaks. And when he speaks, the power, the power that comes out of his mouth begins to shape and begins to form. You see, when God speaks, life comes into the void. When God speaks, order is brought into the chaos. When God speaks, something happens. Words. Words matter. Which brings me, it makes me wonder a little bit here. That when we speak, when you and I speak, do you and I, do we bring life? Do we bring order? Do we bring form to the chaos? Or do we speak more chaos into the chaos? Do our words bring shape? Do our words give life? Or do do they simply bring hurt? Do they bring disorder 
And do they bring slander? By the way, if those are the kind of things that are being brought in, where is that coming from in our lives? I do wonder, which I'll talk about just in a moment. So Paul, here he is. What he's saying to Timothy is this, that there there is power that every time, Timothy, you open your mouth. Because when you get to speak, Timothy, you speak on behalf of your commanding officer, and that is Jesus. The words we use... And how we engage with others, Paul is saying. How we engage really, really, really matters. Because there's certainly sometimes that catastrophe that can ruin people, that spiritual catastrophe that can take place in somebody's life if we aren't careful. And so our words really matter. Now, he goes on. He goes on in verse 15 and he says, Do your best, Timothy, to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, there's this, what he's trying to paint here is this construction concept here. Now, without going into this too much here this morning, what he's trying to say that every time you speak, every time you use your mouth is an opportunity to invite people onto this road, onto this road to encounter and to experience the goodness of your heavenly Father every time. Verse 16, he continues the journey here with Timothy. He says, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. This idea here of godless chatter, if you look into the true meaning, the true sense of what Paul is trying to say here, He's actually saying that this means, godless chatter means empty sounds. Empty sounds. Once again, let's come back to the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people, words really mattered. When God was creating the world in which you and I lived, his words spoke life and brought form. And it was a powerful thing when God speaks, when you and I speak, when the Hebrew people spoke. One of the Ten Commandments was, we shall not misuse the name of God. Now, sometimes we think and we can kind of confuse that a little bit. It's more than just cursing, by the way. You see, the Hebrew people actually believed that everywhere they went, everywhere they went, that they carried, they carried the name of God. They represented the name of God, and as followers of Jesus, we carry his name everywhere we go. You see, the idea behind what Paul is trying to say here is that when you carry, when you carry the name, there's this glory, there's this, there's this weight, there's this holiness in which you and I carry into this fragile and uncertain world. There's this power that is within you. And he is saying that godless chatter is not weighty. It's empty. It's empty sounds. It has no purpose to it. There's no meaning. It's void. It's nothingness. It's chaos. It's ungodly. What is it? It is empty It's empty sounds, godless chatter. It's empty sounds. You see, when you begin speaking empty sounds, you might think, you might think you're progressing. You might think it makes you feel bigger and better, but you're actually making yourself more and more ungodly, which actually means, what is it? Empty. Empty. 
That's what Paul is saying. And he's reminding the people to avoid these empty sounds. Instead of empty sounds, instead of godless chatter, he's saying, fill the earth. Fill the skies with words that bring life. Fill the skies and the earth that bring, um, uh, uh, that bring form and order. The same way that our God brought life and form and order to the world in which we live. That represent our commanding office. Now, Paul, Paul will actually even say to the people who actually speak like this, if you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 4 to 5, he says this, it's on the screen, that they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in con- controversies. I was going to say it the other way. Controversies. Anyway. Um, and quarrels. And quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicion, and constant friction. Welcome to Facebook. Let's go there for a moment. Let's go to social media for a moment. Now, last year... I did a two-week series, morning and night, on social media. If you want to catch what I, what I shared there, feel free to check back in our archives. It should still be there. I'm not going to talk about this too much, but I, you know, for those who don't necessarily connect with social media, just hang in there just for a moment. Welcome to social media. You know those people, um, we talk what Paul's talking about here, those people who love quarrels, those people who love debates, those people who love to be right, those people who can't celebrate other people's success. Congratulations, uh, congratulations by the way, Adam Mastogel. Where is he? Is he in the house? Is he in the house? He's in the house. Top 20, I think top 20 or 30. Top 30 Australian young, under the age of 30, entrepreneurs. Fantastic, great job. Those people who love the quarrels and the arguing and that sense of constant friction within their own hearts, that they, they are more known for what they are against than what they are for. They can't look inward because everyone else has the problem, not me. Now, Paul is saying to avoid that, to avoid that. Don't let that be you. In fact, Paul, Timothy, don't let that be true of your church. He then says why this is so dangerous. If you read on in verse 17 to 18, he says, this gets a little graphic, by the way. I won't show you any graphics. Check this out. Hang in there. It says this, that their teaching will spread like, say that word with me, gangrene. Gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Now, this is a graphic picture, gangrene. Now, during my research this week, I knew what I was going to encounter when I Google image. By the way, don't do that now. Don't do that now. And I knew I kind of had my eyes half opened when I Google imaged gangrene, and it was not a pretty sight. It was pretty rough, in fact. Do it when you get home. Oh, don't, don't, don't even do that. Don't even do that. But gangrene, what is gangrene? If we go to the next slide, gangrene is when your body turns against itself. Now, this is painful and it's gross, but what Paul is trying to say here as Timothy reads this word, he's painting a powerful picture that your words, when you speak, that there is a spiritual ruin and catastrophe that can happen to somebody else and those words will begin to eat away at 
your soul. Remember a moment ago when I just mentioned, you might remember maybe that moment in your life when somebody said that something to you, that sense that it's been eating away in your life, maybe for some time, maybe for some years. It's been robbing you of life. It steals life from you. It's taking away from you, and you're experiencing pain because of what's been spoken over your life. Now, in a moment, I'm going to pray for people who may be experienced. Now, I'm sure we've all had words spoken over us that we haven't liked, but there's a certain group of people among us here this morning I'd love to pray a prayer for just in a moment, and I'm going to pray it like this, to reclaim, to reclaim that which has been stolen within your life. Now, it may not be, you know totally done by one prayer. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm asking you, maybe from today, to take the responsibility for the part you can play. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you about that. Let's come back to gangrene just for a moment, if we could. (laughs) Gangrene. Now, it's not a very attractive thing, but uh, we can see what Paul is trying to paint here. When the body turns against itself. Social media, if we aren't careful can be extremely divisive and extremely judgmental. Paul would say, in fact, if we're not careful, it can be verbal gangrene and it's affecting our influence. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, uh, generally in the 80s, 70s, 80s kind of uh, era, there are certain things that we as a family would sit around the table and we were told, and I know I'm not, we're not the only family, there were certain things that we would not necessarily talk about outside of that family table. Does anyone kind of, yeah, you get the idea? There were certain things, okay, let me remind you, let me remind you. Um, the, uh, politics, yeah? We generally, as a family outside that family table, we generally wouldn't talk about politics, wouldn't, t- wouldn't tell people who we vote for and you know, which party and things like that. We generally wouldn't talk about those. Are you relating with me? I'm not, yeah, yeah, good, okay, good. Uh, Money, money, generally from around that table, we wouldn't talk about money, uh, what we earned, what we spend, what uh, what we've saved, what we owe. Generally, we don't talk about those kind of things. I'm sure there are a number of subjects that as you were growing up, there were certain things you wouldn't talk outside of the family context, maybe. Why? Because some of these subjects, I was taught and grown up, that they, they, they could actually be divisive. They could actually be divisive. And so we no longer necessarily talk about these things, but now we actually post about these things. We write anything we want. We open up the computer. We've got the smartphones there ready, raring to go. And behind closed doors... We think that nobody is watching and with our opinions and with our judgments for the world to see. You know that little box that comes up in social media sometimes that what's on your mind? What's on your mind? People say, here I go, I'm going to tell you what's on my mind. Mm, Don't take the bait. Don't take that bait. You know, the same thing was actually happening in Ephesus, not with social media. (laughs) But the same thing was actually happening at Ephesus. The people were spouting off. They were trying to draw people in, trying to make a difference. But what they were actually really doing was pushing people away. 
And Paul had some very strong things to say to Timothy and to the church about this. Social media, you see, when we post, when we come to a place like this, one of these kind of things in our homes, in our private places, we don't actually see the eyes of people who are on the receiving end of that. We don't actually see the souls of people who are on the receiving end. We don't see the journey of another person of what they are on. We just see our desire. We just see our need to be right and to make them wrong. You know, a number of years ago, I, I, I saw this quote. I've never forgotten this. I wrote this down, and it says this. Everyone has an equal right to an opinion, but that doesn't mean everyone's opinion is equally right. And so people, when you post, when you post something, people are on the receiving end of our post. When you post, there's a group of people who will say, can you believe, can you believe they said that? Can you believe they actually posted that? By the way, (laughs) it's not just you locked up in your own room typing these kind of things. There are actually people on the receiving end wondering why you are saying what you are saying because you are creating roadblocks. You are creating obstacles for people to encounter God's love and for people to encounter God's presence. By the way, just a little tip, if it's 11.15 p.m. at night and you are extremely tired, don't go online. Go to bed. Go to bed. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the fingers type. Mm. You know, we think that we can delete certain things that go up on social media, but you think you can. In fact, the damage is done. Once you've posted, the damage is already being done. And as soldiers of Christ, Paul would write to Timothy that we have to learn how to engage. We have to learn the rules of engagement, both online and offline, where we can speak on behalf of our commanding officer. Well, how do we do this? How do we do this? These are the rules of engagement. I've got five things, and I'm done. The first is this, that we must respect the imago Dei in each person, those who are into Latin. (laughs) The imago Dei means the image of God the image of God. We must respect the image of God in each and every person. Every person in this room, every person outside of this room has the image of God within them and you have something to teach me. We have something to teach each other about who our Father in heaven is. And Paul would say to avoid, avoid empty sounds and to respect, respect the image of God in another person. The Imago Dei, the image of God. The second thing, that's the first thing, we must respect the image of God in each person. The second thing is we, to be someone who is quicker to listen and slower to speak. Be someone who's quicker to listen and slow to speak. Because if you want to add value, you want to add value to every conversation and, and, and not bring about that, what Paul was talking about, that spiritual catastrophe, uh, be someone who is profoundly curious in other people. Well, why did they say that? What was going on for them when they posted that? Or they said that to me in the office the other day. What was going on in their life? Are they having a bad day? They're not well? Are they trying to deal with something at home? One of the things I've certainly learned growing older is that um, 
is I've certainly learned to respect what might be going on in somebody else's life, to be quicker to listen and slower to speak. Another way we could put it is, in fact, we could take online conversations offline. This idea of social media, let's just continue that for a moment. You know, social media... Um, provides a way that you and I can feel connected. There's no argument about that. But there's certainly no replacement for true, authentic community. Uh, It's a virtual opportunity, isn't it, to spew out ideas, good and not-so-good ideas. And Jesus was the master, if we can come back, Jesus was the master, master in asking questions. He would sit down often. You think of the story. He would sit down often with people. He would listen. He would ask questions. And he would learn. And oftentimes, we'd simply just rather be right rather than being humble. The third thing is, we talked about this last week, I want to continue this journey, is that the harvest is the focus. The harvest is the focus. Because if being right is your focus, you don't necessarily care about their eternity. You don't care about what's happening in their life. You don't care about what's happening in their marriage, their relationship, or what needs they might have. You see, if the harvest is the focus, you look at the person themselves, and you ask yourself what's going to help them rather than harm them. And what is going to help them rather than harm them? Paul would say to bring shape, to bring form, and to give life because the harvest must be our focus. The fourth thing is that every time we speak is that we must speak like the gospel according to John says about our commanding officer, and that is with grace and with truth. With grace and with truth. Once again, the gospel according to John in John chapter 1, verses 14 and 17 says that the word became flesh and made, this is Jesus, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of what? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. For the law, verse 17 says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth. Grace and truth. And truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, for many of us, we like one or the other. We like to shout the truth out and forget about grace. Yet truth without grace is only half the truth. If you think about it just for a moment, what was Jesus' criticism? Who was it towards It was towards religious people who didn't show grace. And we need to be able to explain to people that there is hope. There is hope in spite of their choices. And the primary message of Jesus, I pray we never forget it, is grace and truth and forgiveness and mercy and life everlasting. How do you know? How do you know that you're sharing in grace? One word, tone, your tone. And this is where email and social media and anything over these kind of devices gets a little awkward because we cannot detect tone. If anyone ever emails me with a certain thing, I just don't know where and how they're coming from with that, I don't know what tone you're coming from. So to make it easier, I don't actually reply. 
I actually give that person a call and say, look, is it okay if we talk about this? Because I just can't detect what kind of tone you're coming out with this for me, you know? Yeah? How, how do you know? It's tone. It's tone. That's why we've got to be careful on these kind of devices and to go take it offline and to bring it face to face. <laughs> Here's the thing about these four things is that they're all external. These are external things. You know, you can go use these four things in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the family or online, but only God can see what's happening in the heart. This is my fifth and final point. I'm going to leave it at this. Because the truth is that every single one of us on a regular basis must do a heart check. The gospel according to Luke in chapter 6, verse 45, this is Jesus. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And I want to finish by asking you this question here this morning. What is your heart full of? What is your heart full of? You know, one of the things that really, really helps me get those kind of things out is journaling, is writing, is my 20 minutes daily hope in the chair. I'm going to write things down. What's going on in my heart? I've got a list of questions that I ask myself regularly. What's going on? I'm asking the question, what is your heart full of? Is it full of grace? Is it full of love? Is it full of envy, lust, sadness, or anger? Because where your heart is, your mouth and tongue will follow. It is only a matter of time. So this morning, I'm asking you to surrender these things to God and to ask Him to fill your heart with peace, to fill your heart with love, grace, and truth. And maybe you weren't here last week to fill it with the commanding officer of being Jesus. And He will lead you. He will guide you. So you can represent him well. Why? Because we are the people who speak in the right tone and in the right spirit. We are the people who have the harvest in view. We are the people who listen quicker than we speak. We are the people who never shame or take out the image of God in somebody else because God is the one who wants to redeem. He is the one who wants to restore and he can do those things through our words because as Paul wrote to Timothy, you are made for more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, let me pray. Let me pray for us. Three groups of people here this morning. First of all, I would love for us all to do a heart check. A heart check as all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed. In these last few minutes, let's do a heart check. What's going on in your heart? I'm going to stop speaking for 30 seconds and say, God, search my heart. second group of people I'd really like to pray for and consider here this morning are, are those who have been wounded by words as all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed we'll dim the lights a little bit thanks a bit of privacy here this morning and as I said before many of us have been wounded by words I'm talking about really these wounds are deep and you may have been carried them for many years. This is an opportunity to take that next step. It's hurtful. It's painful. There's negative words, emotionally abusive. Maybe those lies that have been said, the gossip, the slandering. 
And those words have had the power to actually ruin your life. I want to ask the question to these people who have been wounded by words, what are these words stopping you from doing? And what have these words stopped you from becoming? I think the word for you this morning is to reclaim that which has been stolen from you once and for all. To take responsibility for the part you can play moving forward. So if that's you here this morning, if you've been wounded by words and you know in your heart of hearts it's you, it may only be you this morning, just quickly, as all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, just quickly just raise your hand. Just respond to heaven this morning, not to thank you. Thank you, well done. Thank you. Is there anyone else here this morning? Roderick, thank you. I see that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're responding to heaven. I can see your hand. God can see your heart. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Hands are going up throughout Thank you. Thank you. It's a light. Thank you. Thank you. 30 more seconds. 30 more seconds. You're responding to heaven this morning. Responding to heaven. The next step. Thank you. Once you put your hand up, put your hand down. That's okay. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to make you come forward this morning. This is a private response between you and heaven this morning. Is there anyone else? 20 seconds. Thank you. Well done. Father, for these hands that have gone up this morning responding to you, to your word, that they know certain things have been spoken over their lives that have caused a a stop, have caused a hurt, have caused a pain, have caused something. And they're responding to you this morning. They're raising their hands to heaven. And they want to take that next step in you and for you and for their own sake, their own life to move ahead. And Father, for whatever those words have been said, I pray the reclaiming of ground here this morning, that which has been stolen would be replaced with the life and hope and acceptance. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And maybe a prayer for all of us as I finish here this morning. It's a commitment to use our words to intentionally shape and form and speak life for all of us this morning. A commitment to use words to intentionally shape, form and speak life the way God created this world to be. In truth, and in grace, online and off, offline. Because when our eyes and when our hearts are fixated on our commanding officer, we get what matters to him the most, and that's people. And Father, my prayer for each of us is that you would shape us, you would form us, so we don't add chaos to the chaos, but we bring about life, we bring about beauty, we bring about order to the world in which we live with our words. May we each, I pray, draw out the Imago Dei, the image of God in others. By our words, may we each as a church be the kind of people who are quicker to listen than we are to speak. May we as a church always have the harvest in view. And may we as a church, that whenever we speak, be filled with the right spirit, the right tone, and with the right words, overflowing with grace and truth. And may we speak on your behalf well our commanding officer in Jesus' name. Amen.